You're tuning in to the Pancast Radio Podcast. Here with me today is Evan Welsh, an emerging artist from Arizona. Evan, welcome. Hey there, how's it going? That's good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. You know, making the most of this lunacy. All right. How have you been? I've been I've been good in New York. Yeah, you've been on here for like seven hours. How are you holding up? <laughs> I, I'm doing well. Um, it's getting to that point where I can feel my voice start to like... Ooh, hydrate. Uh, I, I am, I am. It's water. Water. So uh, tell us about yourself. Um, I, I mean, well, we'll start at the beginning. Um, I initially, like, started as, you know, like, acting and a lot of stuff like that. A lot of, like, comedy stuff. Um, but from there, I've moved a lot into, like, dance stuff. I uh, danced for a while at ASU on their, like, ballroom team. And I did that for, like, a year and a half right. or something like that. Yeah. And that was great. Moved away from that. Um, right now, I'm not really in theatrical performing arts as much, um, just because I've I've been moving around and exploring different options. Um, and one of the things that I'm really falling in love with is is um, and it, well, it's not like a like a storytelling medium through traditional theatrical means. I'm I'm falling in love with like other methods of telling story like Dungeons and Dragons, um, which I mean I've loved for a, close to a decade now, but now I'm, you know, falling in love with the the methodology of, of the different types of stories that can be told with that. And um I'm I'm falling in love with all of all sorts of board games and different ways of um social interaction in a different way and and painting and all sorts of stuff. I'm just kind of like I've stopped really being I hate saying this. I stopped being like an actor, although I'm still focusing on it through just different mediums. That's that's really interesting because I think one of the questions I had was, "What is theater, and where where do we find it?" <laughs> oh God, that's a that's a senior year, you know, theater class. If you've ever said it, <laughs> I think one of the things that really blows me away is this idea of like defining performative spaces. Um, right now theater for me and i mean and this is in an age where going out and and spending time with each other in person is kind of difficult and 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 often impossible for me right now theater is collective group storytelling right and and so for me personally it's been playing a lot of dnd which i hate saying it like that but it's been like you know we get together with some people we discuss we're in character we're playing a game and we're able to spend some time together and create something create a narrative create a story um together which if you do look at theater and you break it down to its core essence it's kind of quite similar yeah that's really interesting because um there's i mean in dungeons and dragons you have the dungeon master yeah and they have that sort of they have a map almost no, they don't have to have a map. Um, How take us through that? So you can treat it either as as uh, and and some people do, and there's no wrong way to do it. Well, there is, but like we'll not go into that. Um, some people treat it like a very tactic based, you know, war game where strategies and decisions come into play. Um, and the game that I run tends to not do that because I'm bad at it, um, but also because Basically, the core element of D&D is everyone plays as a character. Um, so let's say you and I are playing, and I'll take on the role of DM, and you, Ethan, will make a character. 
And your only responsibility is to be that character, right? Um, meanwhile, the dungeon master, the other person, their job is to create the world, everything else in it, right? And the storyline that, you know, we kind of move along and there's an unwritten social code of, you know, the ideas of who does what and, you know, do we follow and when can we, you know, make decisions on our own? But, you know, there's such a, there's such a presence of cooperative storytelling and narrative there um, that it's, it's the core element though, um, is there's a group of people playing their characters and there's one person who is playing the world. Um, and that's why I really do think it ties in super well with what theater is and what it can be in, in modern day culture. Um, because of the innate idea that people are interacting, um, and, and people, especially the players are saying, you're going to be this character and you can do a voice. If you want, you can talk in character, but you can do what you think your character would do. Um, and definitely like throughout my life, it's definitely been used as an acting exercise and it should be used as an acting exercise, um, defining like character motivations and all that. It's really cool. And, um, I wanted to go back to cooperative storytelling. What, what does that mean to you? Why, why is it important to have a cooperative story? I think, so if we look at contemporary theater going back, you know, who knows how long, decades, centuries, millennia, um, you have the person who is like defining the story, which is like the playwright. And then you have the director who's, you know, refocusing it. And then you have the actors, which are, you know, bringing themselves into it. Um, but if you are an actor in, let's say, let's say we're doing um, uh, Hamilton. Let's say we're doing Hamilton. It's kind of a big show right now. Um, you, Ethan, playing Alexander Hamilton, you have to do what Alexander Hamilton's supposed to do in the script. If not, you are in a lot of trouble. Right. Um, and, you know, whereas if we're, if, in a, in a different type of setting, in a cooperative storytelling setting, cooperative storytelling setting, the idea is you get to decide what do you want to do. You know, you don't have, you know, forces beyond your control, you know, God or the playwright or the stage manager telling you, Evan, do this, Ethan, do that. You know, you get to decide what would my character like to do, you know? Um, and I think that putting that in the hands of your actors Handing your actors problems instead of handing them answers is a really interesting thing to me. So problems instead of, okay, so that's interesting. Then you have to work as a collective to solve that problem. You, so you might. I never, I mean, you have, you are your character. Your character might not believe that. Now, in some sense, you want your character to believe that, right? right? Because that's what helps kind of the group in general but the idea of well my character wouldn't do that um what your character would do really depends on who your character is and well they might say you know i'm going to run off my own they might have to reap the, the rewards or consequences of that you know if you say hey there's an evil baron over here and he's taking over the world um oh, i'm gonna i want to read that comment but i can't read um, if you, if you want to run over here and, you know, the evil baron needs taxing all the people and it's totally unjust, you know, one person might be like, I don't care about that, you know, and one person might be like, I really care about that. I'm going to go do it no matter what you say. 
well, one person going up against XYZ probably will die, you know, so you need each other. Right. Like, so Monica Sampson says, hey, y'all. Um, hello, Monica. Sounds like you're taking, a, you're talking about actor free will or actor creativity versus strict guidelines for a show. Well, I think more what I'm trying to say is like, is it scripted or unscripted? You know, is it is it pieces that already have their destination innate? Or is it pieces that have yet to, you know, be determined where they go? You know, and we bring this into theater all the time. You know, I think I think one of the most interesting theater pieces are pieces that bring it in um, and kind of are like, let's figure this out on as as a collective. I mean, you saw you saw Ajax, right? Yeah, you yeah. did. You told me you didn't like it. Um, I liked it. I just I couldn't hear the words. That yeah, was my that was complaint. That was a problem. I I wish I could hear the words too. Um, I was on stage. Uh, <laughs> um, one of the things that was so wonderful about about that rehearsal process and that creation of that show was, you know, we had script, but then we had such freedom to bring in different movement qualities. I think one of the things that we collectively can learn from is that the the dance world um, and improvised theater and all kinds of sorts like that are really, really amazing at bringing in these kind of like pieces and then figuring out like, what do we do with them? Kind of viewpoint see if that's weird. Sure. Can we talk, um, I'll address the comment really quickly. Um, I would really like if we talked. Um, what about dancing appeals to you? What, what, what can we learn from it? What can we learn from it? I mean, I don't know. I think dancing is something that I learn more from as a creator instead of a viewer. Um, and this is, this is very much a me thing more than like a, you know, I am, I am a master dancer, very learned in it. But I think that Personally, I think that the idea of what we can take from dance is just all of its implications um, in storytelling, because it's, I mean, the basic way to tell a story is you use words, but in dance, you know, it's so heavily ingrained with the body. How do we overcome the limitations of not using words, but what, at, what, what doors does that close and what windows does that open? And, and how far can we push those limits? But still... I'm not, I am not a great dancer. I'm an, I'm an above average mover, but not yet a dancer. I, I feel that. <laughs> um, so Monica has another question about um, pre-established shows that already have choreography. So for example, you're going in Hamilton and you have to learn the the version that Lin Manuel Miranda has done, the exact choreography, yeah. the exact style, the exact delivery. Yeah, that. I mean, it's a different type of theater, and I'm I I would love to do it because there's so much there's so much cool stuff in eight about that. Um, the I, I and and dealing with such a huge production, but I think it's it's just a different type of theater. And, and there are definitely some types of theater that I feel like being grounded in, in the creation of the people performing it is definitely very interesting. 
you know, because uh, you're a playwright, you you write the play. Um, you have have gotten into rehearsal spaces, I'm assuming, and stuff has changed as you develop it, and stuff has grown as you develop it. Um, and the more eyes and the more people who are able to get, you know, get a, a finger in a foot in the door of your production, the more it changes and morphs. And and bringing this kind of full circle um, back to like the original point of like, there's like D and D theater, which is super open ended of literally saying there is no script, you do what you want, right? And then over here you've got something like you know like a Hamilton where I mean, if you, if you if you walk too far to the left, no one can see you, and you're getting yelled at, and you ruin, you know, someone's birthday. Um, hopefully not. Um, but I think eh, I don't think a lot anymore. But uh, you know, there's such a difference, and I mean, there's such a breadth, breadth, broad. It, there's such a broad definition of what theater is that you can't like say, well, this is the true theater. That's lame. That's bad. Yeah, and that's it's interesting to look at how it's changing in today's society, where we're all stuck in our own rooms. We're not yeah. supposed to go out. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's always these interesting. I mean, I you had oh, what was her name? I forget her name. But you had the the wonderful woman from Gamage. Um, Colleen, who, yes amazing like you i think you asked her a quite similar uh, uh question and i was just absolutely blown away i could have listened to that woman talk for four hours um thank you so much for having her on um i was happy that she uh, was willing <laughs> yeah i think one of the things that really rings true to this is i mean like how how do we perform in an age where we are all constantly forced to be away from each other. Um, I think it's a fun, new, interesting narrative challenge, or not narrative, but logistical challenge. Um, but you see amazing stuff come out of it, you know, from uh, digital play readings to, I mean, uh, an increase in, in streaming on sites, sites like Twitch and Mixer and all sorts of stuff. Like, Human creativity, when forced with opposition like this, I'm I'm in love with watching it overcome. Absolutely, yeah. So looking back at the idea of D and where we all have, you know, you're supposed to act in the way your character acts. Uh, how does that apply to something like video games, where you have? I mean, with open worlds, you have almost free range, but there's still a story. The, the big difference, and I will, I will say this in, in a very delicate fashion, the kind of concept between, the conceptual difference between an open world video game, something like Skyrim or Red Dead or Grand Theft Auto or whatever, and um, a, a tabletop RPG is the number of options that you are able to have. And to break that down even more, it's saying... Um, Skyrim, if I, you know, pull out my dagger and I stab a chicken, you know, the, the computer is programmed to say, if this, then this, right? And it fills you in and it tells you this is what's going to happen. And there's triggers involved and sometimes there's random chance involved. 
right? But when you're, you know, if you're talking to a, you know, NPC, a, a non-player character, you have a limit to what you can, you know, tell them because they only give you so many dialogue options, sure. you know? In contrast, in Dungeons and & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games, because there's, there's a lot and they all do different things really, really well. Um, the main idea is instead of having a computer, you have a living, breathing human being um, who is infinitely more complex than a computer um, and is able to handle a vast multitude of different narrative functions, right, that you are able to input, you know, because as many as many possible things as you can think to say, they're able to field and give a different reaction to thus. And that's where I think it's, it's, I don't want to say better, but I definitely will say like more interesting to me, at least, because I'm, I'm not playing with a computer. I'm playing with a person. So when I have a crazy, stupid idea, I'm allowed to still do it and it can be crazy and it can be stupid, but we'll feel the response that's appropriate for the situation. You know? That's really interesting because that looks at um, how we make analogies to other situations and how computers are very, you know, if then. Yeah. Um, and they can't really make those analogies. So what's the importance of that human aspect beyond just, oh, I can find a more apt situation for this um, player's decision? I'm not sure if I necessarily understand your question, but let me give a response. And if it's bad, let me know. Um, an idea is in, let's say, a computer game or something. If you, if you're, you individual, Ethan, um, are feeling necessarily goofy or serious or something like that, you can't communicate your thoughts and feelings to a computer. Right, just like in or in 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 contrast, um, a discussion between two friends um, can go a multitude of different ways and have a con uh, a constant change in the social dynamic. Right, we can have a very serious conversation, we can have a lazy conversation, we can have a very energetic, forced, hyperactive conversation. Um, but in turn, um, you cannot have a change in that tonality with a computer. The computer will say, this is the tone that I have. This is the tone I can set. And you can do whatever you want with that, but I'm only able to reply in this way. So if I want to be, if I want to be goofy and do all this silly, stupid stuff, you, Ethan, a person playing in D&D with me, you can also be silly and goofy and have a lot of fun. However, you, Ethan, a uh, uh, a fully downloaded Skyrim with no mods or something like that, you can only respond um, in the ways that the code allows. And that I really think applies with the tonality of discussion. Also brings it in a lot with theater, right? I mean, the idea that like you can set different tones as you want through your, your script. You know, you can have the beginning number, right? Where it's super interesting and it's high energy and it's like look at this world right and then you can get you can shift tones as much as you want through the play well you know within some limitation that's really cool yeah um 
So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm derailing our super serious theater um, discussion into D and D. No, it's not, no, I, I mean, I, it's interesting because you say theater, but D and D can't be a serious thing. But I mean, I view it as a very serious thing because even though it is, it is just for fun. I mean, I think for me, it's looking at, you know, you're bringing communities together, you're bringing people together. They're talking, they're engaging with the story in a way that you can't get in a normal theater. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I said it can't be serious. I I think either I misspoke. Um, I definitely think that it can be serious. I mean, both theater, both everything. And I think what I really do want to say is the idea of of the seriousness aspect of the of both theater and D and D is your access to the world and the characters. Um, in in role-playing games you if your character dies you do not get to play them anymore right they're they're gone they're dead goodbye make a new character you know and and i think the same with theater like you know you go to a show and you are able to get thoroughly connected with this amazing character on stage right or maybe they're a horrible character but regardless they're interesting and they're engaging and you you know, no one goes and sees a movie and was like, man, the characters were eh, but the, the scenery was amazing, right? You know, it's, it's all about the characters. And when the show ends, you know, those characters go away. And you can write fanfic and draw photos as much as you want, but your access to those people, your access to that life and that world and that story is really limited only to the experience of the play. And I think that's a I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, you look at what I think it's Markiplier and Ethan, th- not you Ethan, um yeah. are doing they've got a they've got a YouTube channel and they're saying every day we publish a video and at the end of the one year we remove all of it. We delete it all. You know? There's this one year in time where we have something special. But after that it's gone and it's never coming back. And that's crazy. That's it's interesting because that almost looks at what I'm doing right now, which is you know these interviews will be live and ready to view for 24 hours, and then, and then it's going to be gone, and you'll but, never get to see my face ever again. Oh no! <laughs> but, no, I'm not. Anymore. Um, so going back to the idea of tone and how we set the tone. Um, almost... I'm sorry. Someone commented that she liked the set of Anastasia better than the characters, and that's, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's funny because um, I, I taught my parents, like you know, uh, just talking about theater, sort of got them thinking about more than just the story. Um, so now they're all theater critics, which is great. There's, I mean, once you really start looking at any form of art. The, that individual medium goes from being like very like whatever and it explodes like i think you you're you you've done the film thing you know once you learn a little bit about cinematography you know a good cinematography piece you know something that's shot well it's so different like oh they're shooting from this angle they're showing us this character's eyes 
Why are they showing us this character's eyes? Because their eyes are important. And because they're important, what are, what now, what are we thinking? Are we thinking about this character's intentions? Are we thinking about what they're thinking? Or are we thinking about what are they looking at? Why are they, and oh my God, I love it. I love, like, we need to, we need to have better analytical studies in art. Because whenever, I mean, whenever I see anything and it's like an, a breakdown of this movie, right? Like, oh my gosh, um, I just watched Parasite. Um, I need to watch oh, you, you do. Because, like, I'm, Jesus Christ. Um, there's all of these present themes, right? Like, that they just, that there's this a super theme of just, like, levels. Like, the bottom and the top. Because the city is like all the poor people live down at the bottom and all the rich people live here up here at the top. And you live here and they live here, right? And there's a big difference between that. And that's through the entire piece, right? Like literally in order to get um, into like this house, you have to walk up like three flights of stairs, right? You know, you have to walk up a hill and then another flight of stairs, right? And I'm sorry, I'm going off on tangents. No, but right. one when you like are like able to understand, okay, this is a, this is a, a, a hi Dylan. Um, this is a theme in, in the, in the, in the film, you start looking for where does it apply? Right. And, and once, once you get that, it, I mean, the movie explodes, right. You get, you get so much more stuff out of it. And that's, I think one of the things that, you really get to learn in theater school, um, or I hope you get to learn in theater school. I hope I learned enough in theater school, although I didn't. Um, but it's one of those things that I definitely feel like, I mean, everyone should know this because I hate when people say, man, I didn't like this. And I'm like, but you didn't look at it right. I don't know. I'm going off on tangents. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. No, 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 no. That's good. That's, uh, that actually has two questions that I'm thinking of. Um, First, which is the idea of objectivity and what, where do we build, how and where do we build this lexicon with which to talk about a film and appreciate the deeper meaning? Oof. I mean, that's, that's a question. I mean, if we start with the idea of objectivity, we can talk about this for hours on the subject of art and never go anywhere. I mean, art is innate, a, a super subjective thing that there's no right or wrong about. Well, there is. But I think, how do we properly talk about, I mean, anything? Ugh. I think one of the things that I use and, and love is, is looking at YouTube. There's a few YouTube artists I know who like really get into certain things like either comic books or anime or movies or, or, or whatever. And they're really like, what is this about? Like, who is this character? I think you see it a lot in, in anime, maybe more than other mediums, which is a, a, a good thing about the um, necessary medium that often is overlooked because they have huge amounts of source material. You know, there's some animes out there with 500 plus episodes and it's like, man, we have a lot to build on 
the ideas of this character and different themes that we're playing around with and different increasingly interesting storytelling devices. Um, every thought just left my brain. I'm sorry. Um, but I think, I think that is effectively hard to do. Telling complex and, and breaking down complex narrative and finding deeper meaning in anything is not necessarily easy and it's not something that you can just you know pull up anything right i can't look at any book and just be like hey let's talk about some of the deeper meanings in this because it takes time and it takes work um and even then it's it's such a muscle that our english teachers tried to beat into us in high school and we or at least i really ignored um I was a bad English student, 100%. Um, but I think that there's, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to teach. I really don't know how to teach. Um, but I think the idea of like having people understand and appreciate art is, I mean, it's, we know it's a cultural problem in America. You know, we know art funding gets, absolutely mistreated oh yeah it's shite yeah hmm. um but i think on top of that i think it means that it has to start from the artists themselves you know you have to make sure that you're making good content you have to make sure that your your content is i don't want to say worth making because all content is worth making but if you're going to use symbolism if you're going to use really heavy motifs right Make sure that those are the motifs that you want to communicate with. I mean, that's at least for me. Because, like, I've seen a lot of, I've done a lot of plays. Um, and I had, I worked with a director for, like, two years. And I loved him. Um, but what he would do is every play he directed, like, at some point, we had to do, you know, the actors, they had to do the uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. They had, to, they had to do that bit or else it's not good theater. I don't know what that symbol was about or why it was included. And so it really fucked with my ability to perceive why, what are these narrative devices we're communicating with, which is dumb. But right. yeah. And well, that goes to how much are we trusting our actors and the, the rest of the team to help tell that story? What does that, what does trust, what element does that um, factor in? I apologize. It's been a long day. How does that mm-hmm. element factor into theater making and storytelling? The idea of trust? I mean, I would think in a creative environment, in the creation of a show, the idea of, of trust between members of a, of a company is incredibly important i mean if these are people that you're sharing parts of your lives with and you know you're trying to open up a story and a dialogue and be vulnerable and and interested in you know you've got to have a a a common ground and trust you know without i mean if you're if you are working with people you hate it will not help you you know using using bad ingredients will make a bad product you know, um, 
And I think, I mean, that ties in with an idea of like, how do we, can, how do we create a, a, a methodology, a, a pedagogy of construct, uh, constructivity in theatrical performance spaces, right? How do we make it? I mean, because there's so many different places in theater, right? Where there's big, you know, national chain theaters who are bringing all these people from all over the world, you know, in and all over the country and mostly New York on and bringing them into this theater and you know they rehearse for two and a half weeks and then they do a week of tech and then they do the show um you know creating that environment it's it's not wrong it's not wrong but it's more difficult because these people you know it we don't have time to be you know best friends right we have i have to learn how to tap dance now, yesterday, right. I haven't, I can't tap a tap. And that's, that's hard. I, it, there's, there's no answer to how we properly, you know, take the idea of trust and put it in theater and constructivity in, in symbolic measures and all that and say, we've got this one color on our paintbrush and we are going to paint all of you with it everyone's going to be beige now um because that will be horrible and that will go terribly going back into dungeons and dragons yes you mentioned um building a world what goes into that well i mean ideally you you start with a concept of what you want to what story do you want to tell, right? Same as playwriting, right? If you're sitting down and you're writing a play or a bit or a, you know, a skit or a monologue or whatever, you know, your idea is, what is this about? You know, so if we have like a central tension between um, different planes of existence, right? We've got, you know, the elf world and we've got, this is the, if you're one of my players in one of my D&D games, you might want to leave now because this is kind of what I'm running right now. You've got your elf world and you've got your human world, and it's about this, um, an invasion from the elf world into the human world, right? I literally called up a friend and was like, hey, if you were a very powerful elf lord, and you were looking to invade another plane of existence, how would you do it? And he's like, well, first, we'd have to weaken the entire world, you know? Well, how do you weaken the entire world? You get them all to fight each other, right? So, yeah, I mean, simply you can go top down in the idea of like, this is my main central conflict, right? I want the idea to be um, this big bad guy, the Prince of Frost is going to fight everyone. The other alternative thing that I do, I started talking about D&D &D and a whole bunch of people left the viewing. Um, so, but the other thing that I like is starting at the bottom and working your way up. Yep, more people left. Ooh, I got to stop talking about D&D. &D. Um, but the idea of, of let's start with you guys. Let's start with the actors and the characters. And we'll start at the very bottom and we'll work our way up, right? We'll start with a town, you know? And in this town, there's a blacksmith and a priest and a wizard and a, a innkeeper. And there's probably a serving girl or a serving guy, you know, in the inn. 
and there's a small problem that this there's a problem that this town has it's not a huge problem right it's not um 55 dragons swooped into this town because then your characters your heroes you know wouldn't be able to do it they'd have to call in bigger heroes you know they'd have to call in instead of you know jim the guy who can cast you know two spells a day no they'd have to call in a bigger batter dude and you go from there and you have your character develop identities you know you have them develop characters and goals and aspirations and then you play on that you know if someone one of my one of my favorite players right now um his name's lucas lucas is great lucas is playing a character and his son was murdered man that's great also because it's a super great plot hook that i can just say hey and i'm gonna hook you i'm just pull you along with me right because literally he's like this guy murdered my son and i'm gonna do anything i can to track him down great because now i literally have to like drop an arrow or a feather or a note from this guy you know and he's like i'm engaged i'm interested let's follow this storyline um sorry yeah go ahead go ahead that's interesting because um i had always assumed that you had a set story and then everyone followed along whereas it seems as though you create sort of an idea of what the world has maybe some details in it some things that you might want to explore and then you let the other character or the other players build characters and backstories and then work off of that yeah i think so you you started with this idea of um there is a story right that is set the idea is that they're going to start here and they're going to fight orcs and then they'll fight these troll guys and then they'll fight the evil wizard and then they'll fight the big boss and then that's the end of our campaign lovely you can do that but if you structure your narrative in a way that it will never change that is always like this your your players will feel like they didn't necessarily make any choices you know they felt like they were reading a book and reading the or or i hate to say it they felt they'll feel like they were reading a play and you are the playwright and you wrote all of their lines and all of their blocking for them and now they're here enacting it for you and for them and that well you can do it's not wrong but the idea that i have at present is that if you do such a thing your players necessarily won't feel like they made choices they won't feel like they're because they are doing a thing that it is it is dependent on what they want to do that's a horrible way of phrasing it if they want to do something different they should be able to do that there is not you know one way to skin a cat and you need to allow the characters to you know maybe they've got to skin the cat you know there are some instances where that cat just going to get it but you know they might go they might want to go about it different ways or they might say fuck this cat we're going to leave and they want to do something else maybe there's someone who they met or you know something that happens that they're more interested in and they want to go follow that and the cool part about that is 
you know, let's say you have, you know, your dark wizard and he is trying to summon um, a, a powerful evil dude. We'll call him um, Orcus. Orcus. Orcus is a great one. Um, he's trying to summon Orcus. Meanwhile, your characters don't want to go fight this evil wizard. They think that sounds boring. They're not interested. They are fully, they should be. Well, should is a hard word. They, in my game, are allowed to totally just say, fuck this wizard and fuck Orcus. We're going to go take care of this or do this or follow our goals and aspirations in a different way, in a different direction. And what D&D really lets us do is say, you can, you can do it one of two ways. You can either say, well, this is, we're just going to take this off the burner and we're going to just let this stew until you want to come back to it. But that doesn't resolve narratively. You know, if, if the, if your characters decide that they don't want to follow your narrative, they're free to do that. You just have to make more narrative in response. Then you can advance the bad guy's plot. You can advance their narrative, you know, and now they're doing who knows what, you know, now, now our, our, our evil wizard has successfully summoned someone, you know, and now what happens as a result? And now these guys, they've got to go and they've got a bigger, badder problem on their hand. Well, they're also now bigger, badder heroes because they just went and cleared up whatever was over here on, on the right side of my screen. And that I think it should, it is why it shouldn't be scripted. Because it is, we're not, it's not that we are handing you a script and asking you to perform the lines. We are handing you the line before and asking you. It's improv. We're handing you the situation and you are able to accept, reject, do whatever you want with it. Just like in real life. Yeah. Except you can kill stuff. No, except you can kill stuff in D&D and you can't kill stuff in, you know, well, you can. Um, horrible repercussions. Yeah, I mean, but stuff has repercussions, right? In any game. Yeah. And so going into that sort of real life idea with perfect segment, how are we, I mean, that looks at how we handle time and how we handle our experience with a problem. So looking at sort of like quarantine, how are we handling that? Poorly. Um, how are we handling that? Um, the, I mean, do you want the um, answer from Evan, the amateur epidemiologist, or because if we, I mean, if we if we keep ignoring this problem, we don't treat it like a problem. Things are going to get real bad. I I know um our our wonderful beautiful governor Doug Ducey right now is is playing on the idea of if I don't acknowledge the problem it will go away. He lacks object permanence right now, um, which is really not the thing we're looking for. Um, he's trying to open the state soon. And, and by soon, I mean like the 11th or 12th or something like that. And it's, it's kind of scary. I am not a fan. Um, if that's what you're, if that's, what your answer is is talking about. I mean, things are just going to keep getting worse if we keep ignoring the fact that we have a problem. Sure. And so it's interesting because we don't have a side quest that we can sort of go off on and then come back and fight COVID. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, I think one of the things that we can definitely think 
for us who are like, you know, man, I haven't left my house in three days, you know, because I, my work wanted me to come back and do some, you know, like just housekeeping and cleaning. And, you know, I did a lot of pressure washing. Um, one of the things that I think was that I was at least focusing on was this idea of like, you know, what am I accomplishing in my own life today? Which granted, I live in the suburb instead of a New York City apartment. So I have a little more freedom of, you know, certain stuff. Um, but like there was like one day I was like, you know what? I am, you know, I got to do this thing. You know, I got to do something. I got to be productive with my everyday life. You know, despite the fact that I really don't want to get out of bed. Um, so, you know, I, I got up and I, 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 I cleaned my bathroom. I cleaned my bathroom a lot because uh, I've got a lot of spare time now. Um, you know, what, what am I doing that is going to make me feel productive? You know, getting those things out of the way. I, um, I bought new sheets. That was like the highlight of my week. I got a new, I got a new fitted sheet and man, I am so stoked about it. It's my favorite color. It's gray. Um, it's, it's great. It's a great time. New sheets are the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think. I mean, right now, if we're talking about, like, just people, feelings of being stuck at home and all that, it's just finding, like, the little things that you can accomplish. You know, your little individual side quests. Well, I mean, you are still working on our main quest. Like, the main quest of stay home, flatten the curve, and all that jazz, you know, we're doing. Um, but what what can you work on in the meantime you know so i'm doing i'm painting i'm i'm accomplishing the little things that i let build up you know i'm running you know i don't like to run but now i've got all this time so i'm running um and so on and so forth you know so you mentioned the other thing that you were talking about was the idea of change and how it's important that we kind of accept Tell me if I'm wrong, again, um, if I'm misquoting. It's uh, almost important to accept that change so we're not stuck in this almost dictatorship of a goal or methodology of accomplishing such a goal. I mean, I'm. what it seems like you're asking is, I mean, like, our willingness to accept reality. You know, at some point we have to be like, you know, this is real. This is what it is, you know, and people a lot of times uh, disagree on what we necessarily will define as real. Um, and I don't want to share my feelings on that. Um, but the idea of, of what are we, what are we doing? I mean, idea of accepting change. I mean, yeah, we've got to, you know, so much of, so much of what we're doing now is having to be like, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I think what you're saying is like, we have to live in this moment, you know, because if we live in, you know, three months from now when, you know, cases have gone down by 95% and, you know, we're all emerging from our rooms being like, what are we allowed to come out now? If we're living in that time, right now, I will die, right. you know, and that's rough. I don't know. 
What, what can you repeat the question? Because I think yeah, I might have sort of like the idea of the importance of change or free will of not just you know the leaders and uh, um, objective, but also the followers and how we complete that objective and how it changes over time. Oh gosh, are you talking about this in a in a geopolitical way? Are you talking about this in a theatrical way? Both. Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, possible implications, right? I mean, if we just look at like it in a theatrical way, so it's shifting gears again, um, you know, there's, you've got your, you've got your producer, your director, your screenwriter who are our leaders, and then you've got your actors and your, you know, technicians and all that, you know, who are kind of just acting to achieve the goal of, you know, the people who are working with them. Um, and you just kind of have to keep accepting it. Geez, you just have to keep, you know, saying like, this is what it is, right? This is what it is. And it's not what it should be. You know, it's not what it could be. But if, if we continue saying, oh, it could be great if, you know, yeah. if this had been changed in the past, fucking good riddance, man, we're going to be dead. Or, you know, we'll just be bad artists, but, you know, that's whatever. I'm already a bad artist. Oh, no, I don't think so. Well, speaking <laughs> of artists, um, one of the other things I really love about you is that you do little figurines. Yes. Oh, my God. Any of those that you can show us? And I mean, we are at my painting desk. I don't know if I can get, like, good quality resolution, but, like, the one that I last finished is like this guy. Uh, ooh, I don't know where my camera is. Oh, this is bad. I've been playing around a lot with this is, yeah, I'm not going to get good resolution. I'm really sorry about this. No, you're but just where my phone is. I've been here. Let me get out of the way so we'll focus on this. Uh, no, I don't think it's going to do it. I'm going to put this down so I stop embarrassing myself. Um, I do paint. I do paint miniatures a lot. Um, and man, there's some great there's some great stuff about it. One, it's really small. So I don't have to like paint eyes because the easiest way to sit, to respond is like, man, I can't paint eyes, right? They're real small. Yeah. Um, which is a great, a great way of, you know, working with that. Another thing is I don't have to focus on necessarily the form. I don't have to paint the hand. The hand is already made. And then I have to think about how it's structured um, and the individual, like, lighting and color and all that stuff. I, I have some wonderful pieces that I'd love to be able to um, show you without losing focus and looking silly. Um, where, you know, I mean, they've got, they've got a really, they've got a big shield and it's supposed to be shiny, right? So you're, I'm able to paint, you know, the, 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 the shine. The color, the, the the way that the light plays off of it, and all that blending and all that stuff that it's, and that I've I've able I've been able to accomplish it in the way that I want, like two or three times. And because whatever I do, I look at it, and every now and then I move my head, and I'm expecting the paint to shift where I've gotten to paint the highlights properly, and that is, and then it doesn't because it's paint and not reflective. That is the best moment. That there is nothing I think that makes me feel happier than in, than in that exact moment. I love that. 
Well, Thanks. is there anything else that you need to um, want to say before we sign off? Is there anything you need to ask? It's 7.55? It's, it's 9.55 your time. <laughs> it's 10.55. Holy shit. I, I could have sworn we had more time. I, it, it goes by fast, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I, I mean... I mean, I think the only thing that's left to say is just, you know, A, play more D&D. B, stay hopeful, dude. You know, it's like we're at this point where it's like we're going on like two months since this thing really picked up for us. And Dude, I don't know how much longer we got to go. I don't know how much, you know, when when everything is going to revert back to normal. And I'm really hoping it's soon, but. I'm really thankful that you had me on. This was like probably the highlight of my day, probably the highlight of my week. Thank you, Thank um, you for being on. Dude, it was fun. This is great. I hope you keep doing this. I hope you get Connie back. Um, Connie? Colleen? Oh, Colleen. Colleen. Oh, I'm so sorry. I hope she's not in chat. Um, I hope you get her back. Definitely because it's... Being able to talk about something of substance you know, and, and have these discussions. It's something I really appreciate. Um, it was fun. It was fun. When are we interviewing you next? Me you got to get someone on here to ask you all these juicy questions. I, people know about me. No, they don't. They know that I'm a playwright director. Like, yeah, because I told them. Because <laughs> I sat here and said, you as a playwright and a director. No, we got we to gotta ask you some questions sometime. I will yeah, open it def up. Definitely keep this up because I, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed getting like a, a an Instagram notification like every hour saying Ethan started a live video and I'm like, man, who's he got on now? Um yeah, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Of course. Thank you again. Um that was Evan Welsh. And we will be back in about three minutes for Rebecca Harkness, who will be talking about archaeology and her new uh comic book. Evan, it was a pleasure to have you on. Have a good night. Yeah, you too, man. Stay safe. Stay happy.